All right, now there's this debate that's been raging for, uh, for centuries, maybe longer, millennium. Um, who agrees with this statement? Ready? I'm sure you've heard this kind of thing before. All right. Focus on the journey, not on the destination. I oh, know, how does he say um, Joy is found not in finishing an activity, but doing it. All right, now I'm going to do an experiment and see who agrees with that. Say so you've got journey versus destination. Having a good time on the journey is the thing, or it's where you get to matters. So if you're a journey person, I want you to do these ones. All right, wave your hands in the air like this. If you're a destination person, I don't know, like stay still and just pose like this. All right, so go for it now. Journey or destination? All right, all right. There you go, that's good, that's good. I'm seeing a bit of both. I'm seeing a bit of both. That's good, that's good. Now, can I say back in my day, back in my day when I used to be at school, there was this subject called English um, and it was pretty dog. Like if it was actually about the English language, it might have been all right, but we talked about other stuff most of the time um, and, and it was terrible. In year 12, we studied the topic of journeys and we did imaginative journeys. What does that have to do with English? Anyway, the thing that I learned in English, Year 12, Advanced English, as I was doing Imaginative Journeys, is the journey is the important thing. It was these ones, all right? I think they were wrong. Sorry, everyone who was doing those ones. I think you're wrong. So people who were doing this, I think you're wrong as well. Oh, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, my answer is sometimes. Journey or destination? Sometimes. Pretty philosophical. That fits into English these days, doesn't it? Um, no, sometimes the journey is more important than the destination, and sometimes the destination is more important than the journey. It just depends on the thing. For example, eating chocolate. The journey is clearly more important. I'm enjoying this. This is an awesome journey I'm going on. I got to the end of it. Yay. I'm not looking to get to the end of eating chocolate. Or year 10, for example. All right? The journey is important. You get to the end of year 10, what do you got? Nothing. All right? Or all the things that you learn along the way, you learn lots of things, and that's important. The journey's important. Um, but on the flip side, traveling to your sister's wedding, the destination is important. It doesn't really matter how you get there or what the journey's like on your way there. You need to get to her wedding, yeah? The destination is important. Um, and uh, there are some things that, that don't really matter, but there are some things that really matter if you have it the wrong way around. For example, if you're going to your sister's wedding and you get caught up in the journey, like, oh, I'm just going to go for a trip around the countryside, have a mad dog time, you get to your sister's wedding a day late, all right, and you're like, I had such a good journey. It was all about the journey. She's going to slap you and probably kick you in the nuts and all these kind of things. And um, she's not going to be happy because it's about the destination in that one. It's not about the journey. All right. Now, um, today's passage, 2 Peter chapter 3, um, Peter. Um, uh, tells us that that life, the destination, is far more important than the journey. It's it's the big message of the book. Um, the, The destination of this life is far more important than the journey. Now, we saw that last week. If you remember, we were looking at judgment. All right, the end of this life, judgment's coming. It's big. It's important. Um, And today's passage, uh, Peter tells us more about the end of this life uh, and the end of this world. And the thing he says is the end 
is actually the beginning. The end is actually the beginning. The end that he's been talking about is actually the start of something new. Have a look down at verse 11. Hopefully you've still got your Bibles open. Have a look down at verse 11. It says the end is actually the beginning. Um, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. It's the end. But, verse 13, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. See, we've got something to look forward to, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this is something that should get us excited. It's something that should just make us be going, yeah, like all the time, party time. It's, it's here, it's happening, we should be loving it. Um, and hopefully when I'm done, you guys are just going to be frothing all over the place. You know, the room's just going to fill up with foam. It's going to be crazy, as gross as that might be. It's going to be epic, all right? Um, but to see how good it, like, it's, it's epic. And to see how good it's going to be, we're going to answer a couple of questions, right? Question one, why? Why bother destroying the old earth and making something new? And the second question is, how good is the new earth really going to be? All right? You with me? That's where we're going, those two things. So, first of all, why bother? Why destroy this earth just to make a new one? Why, verse 12, listen, listen to this, why bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat? That sounds like a fair bit of work. What's so wrong with this earth? Why not just keep it? Well, it's because this world's broken. It's devastatingly broken. And you can see it everywhere. Have you guys ever had food that goes off? I mean, I had some. I had a punnet of strawberries. Went mouldy the other day. It was devastating. Um, this world's broken. Have you ever gotten sick? I had gastro the other week. This world's broken. And gastro is the worst. Um, who's ever heard? Who's ever heard of natural disasters like everywhere in the world? This world's broken. Who's ever known someone that's died? This world's broken. You see, this world is tragically broken and something needs to be done. It needs to be fixed. We all feel the brokenness in lots of different ways and it needs to be mended. Now, God's powerful, so why doesn't he just click his fingers and get rid of it? It's because of what caused the brokenness, sin. See, when Adam and Eve first sinned, they caused irreparable damage to the world, to the earth. Not because God's too weak to fix it, because he hates sin so much that as soon as it entered and broke his world, the only solution that would ever work would be to purge the world of sin and destroy it, totally destroy it. It's like, I I love mashed potato, right? It's probably my favourite food in the world. This is a slightly smaller scale example. And I, I cook a pretty good mash, right? You should all come and try my mash, right? It's good. But I make this mash, all right? On the other hand, I hate coffee. One day, Matt Boots, who used to live with me, he's cooking some coffee. I don't know what you do with it, cook it. He was cooking some coffee. I come out into the kitchen, get a whiff of it, run out and vomit over the balcony. I hate coffee. Could you imagine this? I cook up this mad mashed potato, 
Matt Boots, let's go with him, walks in, spoonful of coffee. Into my mash. What is this? Mixes it in. I can't eat any of that mash. It's, the coffee is all through it. The only thing I can do with this mash is chuck it out, burn it, stomp on its ashes, and then get some new potatoes, start peeling it, and make an even better mash. That's the only thing I can do, right? It's, it's destroyed. The coffee has totally destroyed the mash. And sin totally destroyed our world. So the only thing that God can do, because he hates sin so much, he hates sin more than I hate coffee, he, the only thing he can do is destroy it. He's going to burn it. It's ruined by sin. And he, he, that's what he'll do. He'll start again. He'll make a new heavens and a new earth. He's making it new because this one's broken. All right? So, how good is the new one going to be? It's going to be better than that. Right? I hope you guys are ready to, to froth because this is, here we go. Let, let's, this is how good it's going. Let's start with the brokenness stuff that we had before, right? It's going to be gone. No more sickness. It's gone. No more natural disasters. No more food going off. No more, no more death. We don't have to worry about losing people anymore because death has been destroyed. We don't have to worry about it for ourselves. It's gone. No more pain at all. No more sadness. All these bad things from the broken world get destroyed back with the old earth. They're done for, for good, and we'll never have to worry about them ever again. Man, that gastro last week, it was the worst. This new earth, no more late night trips to the dunny. They're done for, they're gone. Never have to worry about them again. I'm loving that fact. But it gets better, right? That's just the dodgy stuff that we have now that's gone. I haven't even started talking about the good stuff that's going to be there yet. Have a look at the end of verse 13. Ready? There's a little phrase there which is epic. Uh, I'll just read the whole thing. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Here we go. The home of righteousness. Now, this is one of those funny phrases that is so packed full of meaning. We could be here for 10 days, but we won't. Um, I, I see three big things in it, right? First of all, it means that everything that does happen is good and right. The home of righteousness. Everything is perfect. Everything is good. Now, that's a pretty good rap, isn't it? Everything's good. I'm looking forward to that. But the meaning keeps going, right? Not just is everything good, but secondly, it means it's the home of everyone who is righteous. That's, that's God's people. The people who have been forgiven for trusting in Jesus. He's made us righteous. And so here, all of God's people um, come and live in these mad dog relationships. We just have epic conversations all the time. We just have heaps of fun. We just like we never get on each other's nerves. We don't annoy each other. It's just awesome relationships all the time. It's going to be epic. Now we're going to actually have the be- we're going to have better relationships than we ever could on this earth. You could be married to someone for like 50 years. Imagine that, being married. You could be married to someone for 50 years, right? Every single person in heaven, you're going to have a better relationship with every single one of them than you could ever have with someone that you were married for for 50 years here. Every person. How epic is that? This is hectic. The home of righteousness. Everything is good and right. 
as are the people and all the relationships. But the meaning of the phrase hasn't even stopped flowing yet, right? The third and biggest bit is that the home of righteousness is the home of God. God is the righteous one. And so you can't have the home of righteousness without God. It just doesn't work. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered this before, but imagine a place where God is just chilling and just cruising around and, 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 and that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, there's God right there. Like, how good is it? Now, I'm not sure what it's going to be like. I'm not sure if it's going to be a... You just walked past. This is the best day of my life. Like, I don't know if we're just going to be like totally awestruck and it's amazing or if it's going to be like, hey, girl, what up? How you doing? What's happening? You know, it might be a bit of both. I'm not really sure. But what I do know is that I'm going to have all of eternity to get to know him better, which works out pretty well because God is infinite, right? Which, which means that I'll never run out of things, run out of new things to learn about him or get to know about him. He just keeps getting better and better. He's infinite. He never runs out of awesomeness. He just keeps getting better and better, which, which means heaven is just going to get better and better. It's not going to be all just angels playing harps on the, on the clouds. He's playing the same boring song over and over and over and over. All right? Which, which a, lot of people, you know, a lot of people go, heaven, it's not my cup of tea. It's just going to be this boring thing. Uh-uh. Heaven's going to be epic. Now, I mean, there might actually be some singing. And actually, there prob- probably will be. But it's going to be the most epic singing we've ever had. Right? And as opposed to being boring, it's going to get better and better and better every time we sing. And as for other stuff, man, we have a creative God. Think about it. Not o- so just to take one thing, not only did he create the concept of music, right, and then make materials so that we can play music or sing, or like he didn't—he didn't just make the concept, make the materials, but he then goes and makes people who have the creative ability to be able to come up with awesome songs and play this epic music and do all this crazy stuff. Now that's pretty creative to be able to create a concept, the materials, and people who are creative in and of in and of themselves. Right? Imagine letting that God loose on all of eternity. Man, this is going to be epic, but not just with music. Think about it, with food and flavor, with sunsets, with sweet views, with smells. Man, I could go on here. It's just epic and epic and epic. He's super creative. Um, the, the, I, I could go on forever, and I'm not even going to go into talking about celebrating all the amazing things that Jesus has done to save people, or like thinking about celebrating all the Jesus stories of millions and millions of people. Or, um, or, or getting to know him more deeply than, than all of our best friends, or getting, getting him to answer all the questions that we have if we still have any. I mean, this place is going to be epic. It's the home of the eternal God. It's the home of righteousness. And his people get to be there. It's going to be all good. And the first day, while being far better than any day we've ever had on this earth, is going to be the worst day of all eternity because it's just going to get better and better and better and better. So while it's the best thing we've ever experienced, it's going to be the worst one that we have the rest of our lives, which is awesome. I'm looking forward to this, hey? Um, that's the home of righteousness. That's what, we have to look, that's what we have to look forward to. That's the new heavens and earth that God's creating. And that's the destination that Peter's talking about. 
it's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be real good. Um, now, you might be there going, sick, but if this is going to happen, and if it is going to be that good, why doesn't God just do it now? What's he waiting for? Like, go for it now, God. Well, God holding off means more people saved. The longer God waits before Christ comes back, the more people have a chance to be saved. Have a look at verse 15. Verse 15. It says this, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Now, why does it mean salvation? Well, it's because there are people that God is planning on saving, but he hasn't yet. And since he saves everyone he plans to, he won't end the world until he saves them. So that means if he hasn't ended the world yet, there are still people to be saved. Does that make sense? Look look at verse 9. It has it there. We didn't read it, but that's okay. Go back to verse 9. It says it in a different way. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's holding off so he can save people. Now, a classic example of this is that if, if he came back, if Jesus came back 19 years ago, he couldn't have saved Vince. Why? How old are you, Vince? 18. So if he came back 19 years ago, Vince wasn't even around yet. So he wasn't around to be saved. So God's like, what up? I'll just wait an extra 19 years and then I can go, woo save Vince and love it, which I'm loving. All right. Um, and so you know, you know what that means for you if you're not someone who's trusting Jesus? Well, the reason that God hasn't ended the world yet, the reason he hasn't yet come to judge, is so that you can be saved. It's not just so that you can have a mad time here on this earth. It's so that you can be saved. The world still exists, not for you just to have fun and have a rocking time, but to give you a chance to come back to God. He's holding off for you. He's holding off so you can come to the home of righteousness. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to come back. He really wants you to come back. I'll talk about how to do that in a second. But it also means something for those who are trusting Jesus, for the Christians. Look at verse 12. It says, As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Now, it's a bit of a weird thing. I don't know if you struggle with this in your G-teams, but do you know how you speed his coming? Right? Think about it. He's holding off judgment to save people. You can speed it up by telling people the gospel so that God saves them. Because once he saved them, he doesn't need to save them anymore. Right? You with me? And so once he saved the last person he plans to, boom, Christ comes, home of righteousness, loving it. No more holding off. Christ will return, the earth will be destroyed, and the new one will be made. So if you're a Christian and you want to get in on God's big plan and see your friends get saved, you can do both of them at the same time. Tell them the gospel. Um, bring them to double up. Get your evangelism on. 
Because that's how God is achieving his big plan. He's holding off his big plan. He's holding off doing this whole big thing to save people. So get in on it and tell them the gospel. That's how he saves people, by getting people to trust in Jesus through hearing the gospel. But he's holding off till he's saved everyone he plans to. See, the end's coming, but it's actually the beginning. The beginning of the new heavens and earth, the home of righteousness, and God's holding off so more people can be saved. And then Peter comes right to the very end of his letter, and he says a few different things, but the big point is crystal clear that he finishes with. He says, make every effort to be sure you're there. To be sure you're in the home of righteousness. The new heaven and earth are coming and you want to do all you can to make sure you're there. Look at verse 14. This is crazy stuff, right? So then, dear friends, since you were looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, that's a quick little explanation of how to get to heaven. You need to be spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. In other words, you need to be perfect. God won't hack anything less than perfect, which is where we kind of run into a bit of a problem because none of us are, right? We all sin. We all reject God. We've all done the wrong thing. None of us are perfect on our own. And so on our own, none of us can get to heaven. But that's where the good news comes in. See, Jesus was good enough on his own. He was perfect. He lived the only spotless life. And so unlike us, he is at peace with God. And for some crazy reason called love, he offers his spotlessness to us. It's like a king. Imagine a king of a kingdom. I don't know what a king would be if it wasn't a kingdom. But he's the king of a kingdom and he's having all these other kings over for a party. And it's like a big kind of dinner party. And he's like, this is going to be epic. And so he gets a couple of servants in and he goes, you need to get a tablecloth and it needs to be perfectly white. It needs to be spotless. All right? And so they get the tablecloth and they're loving it. And one dude is working heaps hard to keep it spotless. And he's going, yeah, this is epic. And then a mozzie comes. He's like, die, mozzie. And he's on the tablecloth. Big mistake. Blood everywhere, bit of mozzie legs in the thing. And he's hating it. The other dude, he washed it in tar. I don't know what he was thinking. But it got pretty black. wasn't heaps spotless. And they both rock up to the king. They're like, what up, king? And they put out the tablecloth. And the king's like, dudes, these aren't spotless. Sorry. You're fired. I'm probably going to have to execute you. All these kind of things. And, um, and the servant's like, oh. And the prince rocks in and he's like, check it. I kept my thing spotless. You know, I wasn't stupid and squashed mozzies on it and all these kind of things. And he had this perfectly spotless tablecloth. And he goes, you know what? You guys can have this, this, um, this spotless tablecloth. They put it out. They get to keep their jobs. Prince gets fired, executed, those kind of things. Um, that's a little picture of what Jesus has done for us. We can't live a spotless life. He did, but he came in and he did get executed. He got judged by God for us. So that's how we get to heaven, by accepting his spotlessness. Trust him to forgive us. Ask him to forgive us. And that's that's what God wants you to do if you haven't done it yet. That's what 
he's holding off for. That's what he's waiting for, if you haven't done it yet. What are you waiting for? Why not do it tonight? But look again at verse 14, right? Look again at verse 14. It says, make every effort. Now, first glance, it sounds a bit funny. Because to get spotless, you need to trust Jesus. It's not about your efforts, right? Your efforts aren't good enough. I just said that. So why does Peter here say to make every effort? Is it a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. I'm saying something straight away. It's not a contradiction because who he's talking to, right? He's talking to people who are already saved. Look at verse 14, right? Look at what it says. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, what are they looking forward to? The new heavens and new earth, right? The only people who can look forward to the new heavens and the new earth are those who are now spotless. That is, those who are trusting Jesus. Because they're the only ones who are going to be saved. Which means, that's who Peter's talking to. People who are already Christians. Because they're looking forward to this. So, why do they need to make every effort? Because that's what people who trust in Jesus do. They work hard to be growing in godliness. See, the mark of someone who has been saved is that they work hard at growing in Christ. Because that's the person that Christ makes them. He doesn't just save them from sin, but he also he does that, but he also makes them more like him every day. It's like the Lord of the Rings. You guys know the Ents? You probably don't. There's these weird tree beards. like, what up, I'm a tree, but I can walk and talk and stuff. And they're these ant things which are kind of like trees, but they can walk. And so what actually happened? I'm a bit of a Lord of the Rings nerd. What happened back in the day? They used to be trees, but the dude who made stuff was like, oh, I'm going to turn them into ants and kind of did this weird thing. And, like, and then they could walk around and stuff. But the problem with these ants is that as soon as they kind of stop walking and talking like ants do, all of a sudden they start sending these roots back in the ground. Next thing they know, I'm a tree again. Because they stopped being ants. And they were trees again. Bit weird. But (laughs) let me show you where I'm going with this. A Christian, someone who trusts in Jesus, is like an ant. They walk around and talk and do anti they do Christian things. They grow in being like Christ. They grow in godliness. If they stop growing in godliness, it's just like they're becoming a tree again. They actually show that they're not a Christian. All right. Verse 17 and 18 says a different way. Have a look at verse 17 and 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. See, if you're not growing, then you'll be carried away from the truth. You'll become a tree again. All right. You'll end up listening to people who are telling you lies. You'll stop trusting Jesus. But the way that Jesus does hold on to you, right, is by making you someone who works hard to grow, by making you an ant who's walking around and going, what up, I'm an ant. All right. He makes you someone who wants to grow, who works hard at growing. So you want to be sure that you'll be there at the end? Well, make every effort to be growing. 
every effort. Because the alternative has horrible consequences. Now, got a couple of quick tips for Christians on how to make every effort. Um, my tip for people who aren't Christians um, is to start trusting Jesus. All right? Start trusting Jesus. But my tip for Christians, all right, here, here are a couple. The Bible, that's my first one, get stuck into it daily. It's something that we say almost every week, and that's because it is so critical. I haven't found anything, nothing more helpful for me in growing as a Christian than reading my Bible daily. It's essential. And Peter says some really helpful stuff in, in reading the Bible here, and something that we don't normally say too much. So listen up to this. Have a look at it in verse 16. All right, He's talking about Paul writing Scripture, which says something about Paul coincidentally. But he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking, uh, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other Scriptures to their own destruction. Um, the Bible can be pretty hard to understand at places. All right? it's, it's, a, it's a complex book, but it's full of goodness. When you come to a part that you don't understand, don't just be like, uh, move on to the next bit. Don't, don't just skip over it and move on to the next bit. Stop and wrestle with it. Work it out. Ask your friends about it. Ask your leader about it. Just work it out. Because as you work those kind of tricky, hard things out, you'll grow. That's one of the best ways to grow, wrestling with hard bits of the Bible, bits that you don't understand. You want to make every effort to grow. And the place to start is with the Bible. Some other things? Think about the stuff that I've been talking about tonight, the end. Thinking about the end causes you to live for the end. causes you to do things to grow. Keep thinking about it. I find that so helpful. Um, other things, cultivate other helpful things in your life. Work hard at it. Things like youth, G-teams, get along, participate well. They'll help remind you that Christ is coming. Judgment and salvation are on their way. They'll help you to live in light of that. will help you keep growing. Or another one, talk about Christian stuff with your Christian mates. It doesn't have to be the only thing you talk about, but do you ever have good godly chats with your Christian mates? Do you ever talk about this kind of stuff? Um, it's something that I've been working really hard on at my house, and i found that the boys that I live with really stretch my thinking on different stuff. They push me on different things, and I find it really helpful. I grow. Work hard at good, helpful things that are in your life. And get rid of things that will stunt your growth. Dating a non-Christian. There's no faster way to stop you growing than to start going out with someone who's not a Christian. They think totally different from you. They don't even consider the end in the way that they should. And over time, the longer, the longer time you spend with them, the more time you spend with them, the more that you'll just be thinking about here and now and stop thinking about the end. And you will stop growing. Don't do it. It's not worth it. I could go on with more. There's heaps of tips. Um, but I think that's probably enough for now. Um, the end is coming, guys. This is real. But it's the beginning of something new. 
Do you have the new heaven and the new earth to look forward to? And what are you doing to make sure you're there? How about I pray? Heavenly Father, you are awesome. Uh, And as we consider how good you are and the good plans that you have, uh, I'm I'm freaking out about how good it's going to be. Uh, and I look forward to it. I thank you so much that you would make the way to heaven possible, that you would send Christ to die in my place so that by trusting in him I can have uh, access to the new heaven and new earth. It's epic. Uh, and I want to thank you that you would um, make a place where I would get to hang out with you forever. And, uh, and I look forward to that. And I know so many people here are looking forward to that. And Lord God, we pray that you would help us to keep thinking about these things. Never forget what you have in store for us. Help us to always keep trusting you and help us to be making every effort to to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with you. Help us to work so hard at growing and and cut out the things that will be unhelpful and work hard at the things that will be helpful. Pray that we might be really helpful to each other in this as well. Amen.